I'll readily admit that I do not like uh, slasher films, and not that I've watched a whole lot. Uh, Friday the 13th, The Nightmare on Elm Street, all those, those things, uh, I, I find them so improbable, I, and, and of course the blood and the gore and all that stuff, but improbable, I don't find them uh, scary in the same way that something that's more likely, more probable, uh, can terrify me. And so the, the thrillers, the dramas that, that uh, do scare me are the ones that are more realistic. And there's one in particular that uh, came out about 16 years ago, give or take, uh, The Exorcism of Emily Rose. Uh, if you've heard of that particular movie, uh, I happened to be uh, assigned to Henderson and uh, the area parishes at the time, and somebody called up and said, now, Father, where is the grave of Emily Rose? And I said, what do you mean, where's the grave of Emily Rose? I just heard about this movie coming out. Well, apparently the backstory they created was that Emily Rose was from Henderson, Minnesota. Not true, but it is based on a true story. And as scary as the movie was, the true story horrified me even more. And not the, not the fact that, uh, of what she did when, uh, when she was possessed, but the fact that she was possessed. Because the true story, uh, she was a young woman from Germany in the early 70s, was a practicing Catholic. And all levels and all accounts should not have experienced possession, but for whatever reason, she was. And the priest who started to work with her in, in the exorcism was unsuccessful. And at one point, after a particularly brutal exorcist, exorcism session, she was given a vision of the Blessed Mother coming to her and offering her choice either continue to take the chastisement that she had received to show the world that the demonic world was real, that there was something true about it, or to go to her eternal reward immediately. And Annalise Michael chose to suffer, chose to be a witness that there was a spiritual domain and uh, a spiritual world, a spiritual battle, and she eventually died of that, of that battle. The priest actually spent time in jail because they thought he had maltreated and, and malnourished, but it was the demon that did not allow her to eat. It, towards the end, it was horrific. But I find that kind of idea that you can be a good practicing Catholic and, and still be possessed as horrifying. Hopefully you find it horrifying too. And so with that kind of in the background, perhaps this gospel passage is even more horrifying. It's not even talking about possession. It's talking about when we get to the gates of heaven, we're knocking on the door and the Lord saying from within, I don't know you. I don't know where you are from. If that doesn't horrify you, let's set the scene a little bit clearer. The Lord knows everything. We say he's omniscient. We teach that he's omniscient. He knows everything. If you want to ponder this, ponder that there is a principle in physics, the Heisenberg principle of uncertainty, I believe it's called, where we can, scientists can know either where a subatomic particle is or which direction it's moving, but not both. But God does. God knows both the direction and the position of every subatomic particle in the amble, or the microphone, or you or I. 
And not only that, but every single subparticle that exists. He knows everything. And yet, it's possible when we get there, he says, I don't know you. That is terrifying to me. And I find a little comfort in the fact that there's different knowledges, different kinds of knowledge. And when we talk about the Heisenberg principle of uncertainty or uh, things in physics or whatever, we're talking about more a factual knowledge, a knowledge uh, of based on facts and figures and all those things, if you want to imagine kind of a head knowledge. And then there's something a little bit more different, and it's still a knowing, but it's an experiential knowledge. And so while it's true that God can know all things in the intellectual capacity, do we let him experience us? That might be the question. And do we experience the Lord? As I say this, I, I'm reminded a number of years ago I had a particular student that couldn't understand how I could say that, uh, that you, can, you can know everything about the faith and yet be not living the faith. And there's a, there's a difference, though. You can spit back the answers. You, you can know all the answers to the, the Baltimore Catechism, for example, but if you're not living it, that's not enough. It's not enough just to know the answers. And in, in this parable that Jesus says, we ate and drank in your company. You taught in our streets. I'm sorry. I don't know you. And we might extend it as Catholics. We might extend it. But Lord, I was baptized. But Lord, I was confirmed. But Lord, I received the Eucharist. For those who are married, I was married. I, I, I was ordained. Lord, what do you mean you don't know me? I'm sorry. I don't know you. Because you did not allow me to be a friend. I'm sorry I did not know you because you did not put into action the gifts of those sacraments. And let's... We are in the midst of this uh, uh, reestablishment or re-engaging with understanding what the Eucharist truly is, or better, who the Eucharist truly is. And so often, perhaps, we've received the Eucharist without pondering new. Who is it that we receive? What does this reception of the Blessed Sacrament, what does this reception of Jesus Christ's body, blood, and soul, soul and divinity really mean? How do I allow that Eucharist to transform me? Because in the end, that's what every reception of the Blessed Sacrament is about. It's about being transformed. Jesus becomes bread so that we can become the body of Christ. Jesus takes the form of bread and wine, transforms that, those elements into his very body and blood to transform us. And we can say, Lord, I'm gonna, I know that's true, but I'm going to allow that not to have an effect in my life. I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I'm going to, I'm going to not allow it to have an effect in my life. And that's when we would say, I don't know you. 
I haven't experienced you. Now, I know this, this message might terrify us, and, it, it, and when I find myself pondering on it, it terrifies me to the core. And I think that's perhaps why the Lord shares it with us. There are certain people that are so self-assured of their, their salvation that they think, I can do anything. The Lord is going to save me, and I've heard this time and again. Uh, there's, there's a particular teaching, and it's been condemned time and again, but once saved, always saved. So if I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, which, as Catholics, that's what we do with every reception of the Blessed Sacrament, isn't it? To accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior again and again and again. But there are some that teach once you have accepted him once, it doesn't matter what you do, can do, to the point that they would never really say this, but if they're consistent, they'd have to. I could become a mass murderer. I could kill everyone in the world and still be saved. Well, that's insane to think that way, isn't it? Those that don't, do not question their salvation ought to. And those of us that sit here and say, this is horrifying, that we can, we can follow the Lord and, and yet have him shut the door on us, most likely we don't have to worry because we're at least asking the question, what more must I do to let the Lord know me? If we allow the Lord to become our guide, and not just following the Lord because this is what's intellectually right, but following the Lord as desiring a friend, perhaps, of spending time with the Lord, I think that's what's most important. Again, to receive the Eucharist and say, how does this Eucharist transform me? How do I need to follow the Lord more faithfully, more fully this day? How do I let my awareness that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior transform my life, influence my decisions, help me to make better decisions? But there's something even more to take a step back. Notice that he's locked the door. So let us not be delayed in staying with the Lord close, so that when he locks the door, we're already inside. I think that's the clue, perhaps, that as I ponder and ponder it again, to allow the Lord to be so close to us that nothing can separate us. And we hear that. And St. Paul tells us, right? That I come to believe that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. To so love Christ as our Lord and Savior, that we're there. Following Jesus Christ is not always easy. But we don't, don't have to be afraid either. Because it's rare. If we keep asking the Lord, how can I love you more? How can I serve you more? How can I know you, Lord? He will remind us that we are known already. Not only intellectually, but experientially that he knows us and that we know him.